Hey guys, welcome back to the Every Plant Story podcast, uh, the podcast where we share all kinds of plant stories in and out of our plant community, and where we tell a lot of the story of us here at Gabriella Plants. My name is Shane Malloy, and I'm the third generation owner of our family greenhouses, and we have a very special guest today, my dad, Grant, who is the second generation owner uh, of Gabriella at the time, Gabriella Growers. So welcome to the podcast, dad. Well, good to see you, Shane. Yes. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, it's a little bit of a change for you to come over and uh, be in a fancy-looking office like this, but... It's a lot fancier than mine. You yeah. know, you saw mine. That's <laughs> I, where you started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's referring to the shack, which was, what, 600 square feet or so that we started in? Right. Well, it started off in, in the back patio, the office. Did. Of the house. Right, right. What Whatever made you... This is kind of off-topic. Whatever made you convert the shack? Was it just... Well, the building was existing. It, um, it wasn't really being used functionally. You know, it was used to store equipment in it and all that sort of stuff, and it was pretty run down. My parents tore a hole in the wall to park uh, mowers in it. Yeah, I remember that when yeah. I was a really little kid. There was like a garage door in there right. because it used to have the dividing wall in there too. So it had a you know had it had an infrastructure for a bathroom. It had a you know big room there. So I thought, hey, let's put the wall back that was torn out and. Put an air conditioner in it, hook some water up, run telephone power to it, and see what happens. That's and awesome. uh, knock on wood, it's still it's still standing <laughs> today. Although then I added a pitched roof to it in the front porch because if you remember, it was just a block square building built in the '60s. When I replaced the windows, it was interesting because and it was still laying around there. I was always thinking of scanning it, but there was this rolled up newspaper from Brevard County over towards the beach what? that was used like as a filler. So for oh, the, oh, the concrete, like just the day's yeah. newspaper. Yeah, it was stuffed in the concrete of the building. So whoever built that, because I used to be a dairy farm, is my understanding, owned by the Dodd family. That whole area around there in Tuscola Middle School was a dairy. So you had milk cows really? all over. Yeah, which is strange because most of Central Florida, for those who are out of the state and out of the, you know out of the area, most of it was orange groves in orange Central groves. Florida. There for were the a most lot part. of orange. Yeah, all the, right where we're standing or where your office is now, this was all orange groves. But over there was uh, dairy cows, and if you think about it, even down where the Orlando Airport is, uh, Lee Vista Center was T.G. Lee mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. cows. When I was a kid, there were dairy cows down there. Uh, owned by the Lee family. Yeah, they still have that. I don't know what they do there, but that processing facility still is down there. And, and there's a lot of bars and different um, businesses that have opened mm-hmm. up. They actually call it the Milk District is kind of the... Down in Orlando, that's yeah. right, because the dairy's down there. So the Lee family sold the, da- uh, the, the whole farm and the, and the dairy, then they went into real estate. So it's a different company now. But even there, where Gabriella Growers is, where those greenhouses were today, used to be dairy farm. That's why I think the old building was there for like... Uh, probably people took care of the cows and you can know they're like with the like tax shed yeah and the different uh i think somebody probably lived there probably like one really of the, yeah my guess is my guess is there was somebody lived in there that probably took care of the cows and you can also tell there's other septic tanks buried in the ground like the one next door so i'm assuming there were probably shacks there or mobile homes back in the old days. It'd be interesting to really go back and see what it looked like. That would explain why there's a shower in there that currently functions as a closet. Right. <laughs> that, that's yeah, interesting. I think, I think somebody actually lived there. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. wild. Um, well, that kind of segues into, uh, to start the episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about your dad, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, mm-hmm. my grandpa, um, Hugh. He was kind of the one to first move the family to Central Florida and all that. And we were mentioning the shack. That was the only building 
on the property, right, when Grandpa purchased it and moved this way? There was also a red barn on it. In the oh, center. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by the time he bought it, he bought it from Dr. Hines, and it was eight, there was 18 acres. He bought six acres of it. There was the shack, the, the building exists now, and then there was this red barn, uh, and his daughters had cow, not cows, uh, horses there. They are into horses. Hmm. So he sold six acres to my dad. My dad moved out there. We used to live in Casselberry in a small little house and over uh, off of Oxford Road. Oh, in, that's in right. Casselberry, that's right. right. So we lived there till fifth grade. Mom taught school at the local elementary school around there, English Estates. And my dad had the backyard nursery right, and garden right. shop down there on Lake Howe Road. Right. And I wanted to talk about that because, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, the basic story that I understand is that Grandpa, I don't want to use the term fed up with, but, you know, kind of got over midlife crisis, whatever happened. I never really knew the full story. And then he was like, you know what, forget working for where he had worked for. Um, National Cash Register for so long. Let's move the family to Central Florida and explore something new. Mm-hmm. What were? Am I missing some context as to what drove him towards plants or, well, or doing the backyard, which was his retail? Yeah, my my dad Hugh had kind of a clever idea uh, in, in a way. He uh, worked for National Cash Register NCR and would get transferred around the country a lot. So even though we we're, I was born in. Houston, also lived in San Antonio, Dayton, Ohio, and then uh, Miami, and that's when uh, when I was just uh, in pre-K, so probably four four years old or so. He decided to quit NCR and come to Central Florida because it was the up and coming place. Mm, Dis- Disney was about to open. He had heard this was going to be the kind of the growing area. And his idea wasn't so much to do a nursery. It was to have a store that sold everything you would use in your backyard. Right. That's so, the name, the backyard. The backyard. So he sold lawnmowers, patio furniture, uh, plants, fertilizer, um, you know, decorative stones and mulch and all that. Everything you'd use in your backyard. So And he called it the backyard. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a clever idea. Then over the years... You kind of find out, like, if you're going to sell lawnmowers, then you got to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. you got to have a main, you know, so you just can't sell lawnmowers for the, you know, I guess unless you're Costco or something mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. But, you know, most mower stores, if you're good, you're going to take care of the mowers. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a repair shop. So he kind of jettisoned that. Patio furniture takes a lot of space. It really wasn't the thing. So anyhow, he, he focused more into the plants and the nursery. And he, he always stuck with the gas grills, though. As you know, he always mm-hmm. loved his mm-hmm. gas grills. I was going to say, yeah. I, I, I knew that the backyard had sold everything needed for the backyard. I had heard yeah. that before. But the grandpa selling gas grills definitely explains why In I, I purchased, for those mm-hmm. who listen to the podcast, know I purchased my grandparents' home after they passed away. Um, in the stack of this, there's this folder in the in the hallway closet that just has every single owner's manual of any lawnmower or like gas powered piece of equipment I think Grandpa ever owned. I mean, mm. the generator mm-hmm. that died like right, at, in like right. 2012, the piece of papers are still there. So that may explain why he always had a fascination with the lawnmower side because he was always uh, one to keep all his records and try right. to keep those things going as long as possible. So. So he just focused in on plants, and that's where I kind of got my interest there. Gotcha. Know, working with plants, too. Speaking of that, like, when Grandpa came, what was your earliest memories? I mean, obviously, you grew up. There's pictures of you in 
you know, working in the backyard mm-hmm. as you were in high school and stuff. But w- what were some of your early memories from, from Grandpa's shop? Well, I remember when they built it. And um, I remember moving up here. I was young. So, you know, I had a couple friends that I recall down in, in South Florida. But it was a whole new world. And there was nothing here. You know, it was pretty weird in a way because he built the shop new, uh, 5589 Lake Howell Road. It's still there today. It's a different nursery mm-hmm, today mm-hmm. and a landscaper. And it was weird because there was nothing there. There was a Utotem convenience store across the street. There was a bar at the corner and uh, uh, like a Tinnacoke gas station. There was a gas station, a Standard Oil gas station. You don't have wow. those anymore, right? Who bought out Standard Oil? <laughs> yeah, they all change hands and stuff, so I forget who. But uh, the field behind us was just vacant. And the weird thing, that whole area down there around Tanglewood, in the summertime, whenever there was a storm and lightning struck, uh, often the ground caught on fire. They call them these muck fires. And it would just be the slow smoldering fire that, because it was so mucky around some areas there. I had nothing to it burn It was like on. peat moss. Well, it's oh, kind of okay. muck's kind of like a, you, know, you get really mucky uh-huh. and it's a little dry enough or whatever. So it would catch on fire and it would like burn for, for days. And I remember one time the Simmel County Fire Department went back there fighting, fighting the fire. This is back in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the truck got stuck in the mud. And. They, <laughs> And then it caught on fire. And I was in the a truck caught yeah, on fire? Yeah, it was like one of these kind of like four-wheel drive. It wasn't like a big fire truck. Okay, it was like okay. this four-wheel drive with a, you know, it was a different. Rule fire yeah, truck. Yeah, it was a rule fire thing. So that was always fun. Then I remember when they built, there was a Winn-Dixie in the shopping center. Yeah, and, I was going to say, because yeah. that whole area has exploded yeah. and now is right over by 1792, which is obviously right. they built a huge Super Walmart just a couple of, you know, minutes down the road there. I mean, it's, now now it's in a bustling, Grandpa was right. It yeah. definitely, Orlando became an exploding part of the part of the state and part of the country for sure exactly yeah so he he uh, picked you know picked a good time to come up here and worked real hard at it and uh, did it for gosh over 25 years or so what uh what do you remember when your interest in you mentioned that that's where you picked up your interest in plants obviously Graham grandma's family we don't we don't have to go into all that, but came from farming mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So there was, you know, kind of always the farm plants around. Obviously, the 70s were a hip time for plants as well. Even the 80s, you know, you had some people into it back then, for sure. What got you interested? Was there like a particular memory or what, what kind of pieced it together of like, you know, I could do this as a career? Well, I was kind of thrown into it all over the place because even in our small little house on Lockman Drive, this little three-bedroom, two-bath house uh, my parents bought in 71, I think it was, my dad converted the backyard of that house into like this nursery. Oh, really? Yeah, so he, every square inch other than we had a tree house, but practically every square inch of the backyard, he was growing plants there to sell at his shop. Interesting. Yeah. So was yeah. that part of them eventually looking for and purchasing the Gabriel right, property? Right. So then later on, they got the idea to buy the acreage. So in 76, they bought the six acres, built a small little house. It was just a two-bedroom, two-bath house. Very small. My sister and I shared a room for, for a couple of years. And that's when they built the one greenhouse in the back, uh, a 30 by 90 cedar fiberglass house with uh, the 
the pan, the, I always get backwards, the fan and pad mm-hmm, cooling mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. And then that existed till that hurricane in 2004 blew it around. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. are pieces of that sucker all over. Oh, I've talked about that before. <laughs> like a craziest <laughs> but, memory for sure. Yeah. So when we moved out there, I was a little bit mad at my parents because it was out like, no, is Nowheresville. Well, right? you said originally it was dirt road, right? When you first got out there? Well, uh, Brooks Lane was a dirt road. The, ha- okay. the house you're on was dirt. Ours was paved because it went to the subdivision that never got built, Raintree down at the end. And, and uh, the other end of Gabriella was dirt. Tuscola was two lanes. There was a stop sign here at Aloma and Tuscola. Same at Redbug. Yeah, Redbug Tuscola had two stop signs it was straight through on red bug you didn't stop stop sign at that stop sign yeah oh my goodness Yeah, everything was just woods and orange trees so i was a little bit i was a little bit angry you're not super mad but like shoot you know i'm out in the middle of nowhere although we all went to the same school because they built the tusquill middle school around the corner but long story short uh, they built this greenhouse and so i started uh i had two collections which got me involved in plants one was cactus right okay Anytime you see a different cactus, I go get it and had my little cactus collection. And the other thing I got fascinated with was coleus because there's so many different leaf colors, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. sizes and curly ones and big fat giant ones and regular ones and rainbow ones and green and yellow ones, you and know. Ones and, that and, grow more compact and yeah, ones that have yeah. wider node spaces. So I started growing little coleus plants and and, and uh, making cuttings of them, which are pretty easy to root. Mm-hmm. And then I sell them at my dad's shop and he'd let me keep the money from it. So, okay. And you know, I so. go down there and sell a plant, I don't know, it was 50 cents or something. And, you know, I get 50 cents. And it's like, then you could go across the street to the Utotum and buy a U. Yahoo chocolate drink. Right? Aha, aha. That was the uh, the can- reward of choice. Yeah. And the cool things were candy cigarettes, which they banned those. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a good thing to be encouraging children. So, with. yeah, so that's how I got it was cactus and coleus, pretty much. So were you, obviously you weren't growing that in, your, in the first house when you moved to Central Florida, so you would have been at the Gabriella property right what what obviously you were interested you were making yeah. a little bit of money doing this what what made you go off to school do you remember well, that yeah kind of i started off i was interested in getting in the growing aspect I, I would always work at my dad's shop on the weekends and after school a lot and i didn't really like the retail so much that's just a lot of you know mental capacity a lot of labor spent a lot of time sometimes with you know somebody that doesn't to buy anything mm-hmm. and not that you know that's part of the thing and kind of like you yeah. were saying with grills if you're selling plants then you kind of gotta be able to also have the answers for the things that come up in that plant's health in the future as right. you know there's that ongoing kind of questions and answers that need to be given and you gotta you gotta be there every day too right you, right. Just, you just can't have a retail store and not show up you mm-hmm. gotta be there when you say you're gonna be there so uh, little by little, I just decided um, to start uh, a wholesale nursery, and so I got a degree in horticulture from University of Florida. But I will say this: it, you mentioned the, the nursery when my dad started it. So when he moved out, there was the one greenhouse he built, but he also built this shade area, and his idea was to grow Gerbera daisies. Have I told you that, or do you remember that? I I, I have a very very faint memory yeah. that there was a a version of Gabriella Growers before Gabriella so, Growers right. that your your dad had started. So he started a, a he went and got a fictitious name, 
uh, filed that and started a business called Gabriella Growers around 76, 77. And it was a shade house out back, and they would buy these little seedlings of Gerber daisies and then step them up, and there are all sorts of different colors, and there's a double Gerber daisies. And that was his big thing. He thought he was going to make a lot of money selling <laughs> Gerber daisies. And then it all had this, uh, what do you call it, uh, kind of, it flowed phonetically. Mm-hmm. Gabriella Growers mm-hmm. grows gorgeous Gerberas or something like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he was all big on that. So I remember we were growing those, and they were kind of a pain because they would get white flies. He made, he had, you, know, was, you had to make sure you kept those off. And but we'd uh, put them up in the pickup and you know take them around to different local retail stores and and sell them. So he was growing enough beyond his mm-hmm. means. Yeah, to, we would to travel sell. around sometimes down to Kissimmee, you know, or out to Winter Garden and you know making the big bucks with the Gerber yeah, daisies. Yeah, so he that was his thing. But then after doing that for about at max two years, he he kind of stopped. Okay, it was just he we couldn't run the retail store and do the. Wholesale nursery at the same time. That's a lot. Yeah. So he kind of phased that out. And then it just became the greenhouse. He'd grow things there. And he had the the uh, the back field for landscape plants. Mm-hmm. And he'd grow some of the, his own material to sell at a shop. So when you came back, I just learned, by the way, side note, I just learned something. I, I Originally, I thought Grandpa's fictitious name was longer than Gabriella Growers. I did not realize mm. it was the same name. It was Gabriella Growers, and That's then and then that faded. You know, then he didn't renew it or anything. Okay, so there was a lapse before then right, you right. came and took back over that. Mm-hmm. So when you came back from college, obviously I was not born yet, um, and it when I was about two, if I recall the story correct, a year, a year and a half, something in between one and two years old is when you purchased the Gabriella property from grandma and grandpa and started doing your own thing. What was it like when you came back? I know grandpa helped you build the first, and we can talk about kind of the building mm-hmm. phases of the greenhouse, but you had the original fiber, all fiberglass, and then grandpa started with some commercial ones. Kind of what, what's the timeline there when you so, came back? So I graduated in 87, and then I started working for my dad's business, but we, different, we did different things. We were doing... Uh, Plant services for offices, you know, take care of interior uh, scaping. Interior scaping. Uh, we did that a little bit. Um, I helped them with the business. And then, so I was working part-time starting the wholesale thing up. So it's been like two days a week doing that and then three days a week at his business. Okay. Yeah. Kind of splitting time between the two. Right. So around 91, started doing the whole greenhouse thing full-time. And he helped me build the first two. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we I added on. So he owned the property, and I just kept putting greenhouses up. And um, little by little, it, then then we just separated it after a while because it was under the backyard. Oh, so he he was his nursery license was under the the retail store. Right, name. we were just kind of doing it informally, informal, informally with his business. It was right, just a part of his business. Then later on, branched off. So and then you purchased the the property and the right. business and kind of started the right. wholesale thing. What was your? Do you remember those early days of starting up wholesale? What like what were the challenges? What was your well, favorite part of it really early on? Because I mean that was yeah. when I was too small. I can remember the various mm-hmm. years, uh, you know. But really before the '04 hurricane, Charlie with that destroyed the fiberglass greenhouse. You know, I I can vaguely recall walking down the middle aisle and 
signing my name or putting my handprint, I'm sure, somewhere right. along the concrete and stuff. But what made you, you know, go full 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 gear into the commercial wholesale stuff? Well, I, I liked uh, the plants are relaxing. You know, you're out there in the greenhouse, as you know. It's mm-hmm. you know, they're not yelling at you. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite quote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plants don't yell at you. They're relaxing. It's you know, it's like working in a, a botanical garden, right? Mm-hmm. Other there. than the, you know, 105 degrees in the summertime. The summertime gets brutal. And obviously, if you have a bug problem, that can be frustrating. But for the most part, you know, it's just, it's just kind of fun. You're mm-hmm. growing some. It's relaxing. And you can kind of set your own hours when it's wholesale. I mean, you got to make sure you ma- you match your orders up when they come in and get that that out, but it's not quite like retail. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can, um, you know, you got a little bit of flexibility. You're still married to it. Mm -hmm. You got to take care of it because they'll all die if you Mm -hmm. don't, right? Right. It's not like you can leave for a week. It's not a bookstore where they're not in non-perishable. So I just, it just kind of grew into it naturally, you know, slowly. And as far as um, starting, like anything, it's a challenge. It's like, okay, well, what do you grow? Who do you sell it to? How much do you charge? You know, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, where do you get the supplies? You know. But you had a little bit of help, though, probably from the connections that Grandpa had. Right. Were you able to kind of use some of those wholesale right. connections to kind of yes. jumpstart what you were doing? So I was doing kind of two things at once. Uh, when I'd go out to Apopka, which was the real center of foliage, nurse, uh, foliage industry, if I'm picking up things from my dad's store... Then I got a relationship with the the business there. Bingo. And if it's a plant broker who puts plants together and different different um, um, from across the state and different sizes, different specialties, and then uh, sends those up north. Well, then mm-hmm. you got a built-in connection, right? So so kind of I did two things at once. I'm helping my dad out with his business, and then I'm growing my things, which is mainly. And I start off as mainly of all things some. Like Cupid's pepperoni hanging baskets mm-hmm. were fairly popular, but a lot of nephthitis and goniums, mm-hmm. and um, a little bit of uh, you know different philodendrons, that sort of thing. So you know selling those and then picking up for my dad at the same time. That's awesome. One of the kind of I forgot to bring the copy of it. It's still in your old desk, which used to be my old desk. That's still now Brett, our head grower, now uses it at our main location because we haven't gotten rid of it yet. But in there is a um, Greenhouse Managers magazine from like 1994 yeah, yeah. or so, and or around the time I was born. And it was funny in there because, um, you know, you paraphrasing that article said essentially, yeah, I'm not quite sure why grandpa was growing what he was growing. It doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more market in these things, in, in bigger baskets. Um, and then you were also talking about how it was new to the market that the TC labs, first of all, TC was obviously more in its infancy. We didn't start to use... Yeah, that just started, yeah. Yeah, and then they came out with the 288 cell, and it's mentioned in that article, which Mm -hmm. I don't recall you getting Syngoniums in 288s. Um, For context, uh, the tray of plants, you know, I don't know how to describe how big that is, but the same size tray that when we purchased TC in 2021 or any time in the 2000s, come in 72 per tray. I don't know the exact dimension of the plug size, but 72. Right. And you're saying take that same tray and now you have 288 of these little suckers. And I remember we used to get ferns that way. Yeah, the ferns. And you'd have to punch it out the bottom with a with a uh, pencil. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Oh, yeah. 
but yeah, that uh, that whole uh, I'll have to show you that thing. It's it's yeah, fascinating. I, I know it's fascinating. I didn't know what I was talking about back then. As as much you know, you, you learn a little bit. But yeah, the two eight two eighty eights I used a lot on ferns. Mm-hmm. You know, bump bump them up to a four inch, and then ferns were a big thing. I grew, and you try to to, to time that right because uh, the sales really go strong through Mother's Day and springtime, and then they kind of taper off. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Um, when it comes to um, running the greenhouse, what what do you uh, you mentioned plants don't yell at you, but uh, what do you have any other like fit kind of favorite memories or proud accomplishments of those early years of taking over Gabriella? Like when you first built, I remember at at one point we built what four or five different stages of building on that main greenhouse, and I remember at one point it was two separate ones, and it was mm-hmm. revolutionary when you put this one in between the two to connect them. And I remember as like, I was a little bit older then going like, that is brilliant because now my scooter can skate (laughs) on the concrete from the front to the back and it's a way longer runway. But anything that stands out to you on those earlier? Well, I just uh, thought it was, it was fun all, you know, here I am working at home and uh, you guys could be around, you Mm -hmm. know, so that was nice. Uh, You don't run across too many opportunities like that. Although I guess a lot more people are working from home now. Yeah. Just with technology. So that's, (laughs) that's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool to have that family connection. I'm really surprised all you guys like plants so much because I had to twist your arm sometimes to get out there to help out. Well, so, well, much like you yeah. and your chocolate milk <laughs> and you're growing a couple plants, we also realized growing up uh, with the greenhouse in our backyard as kids that, you know, we could fill pots and have money for the Slurpee. Yeah. Re- replace oh, replace yeah. chocolate milk with Slurpee and now we're talking, I'll fill some pots for you. Well, that's probably the best memory around was like taking you guys out to a popka and then hitting... Mm. Rock Rock Springs on the way home and jumping in the water. Yeah, that and uh, hang, hanging out and doing that sort of thing. Man, I for, I forgot about that. That is a really good highlight. Yeah, the in Apopka, which was the foliage capital of the world, it's about forty minutes from where we are located. We were kind of always on the east side of Orlando over here, but when we'd go out that way, you know, depending on when my mom, who worked as an interpreter for the deaf, was out or dad needed to take us kids. The delivery van, which was a 15-passenger van that you converted to to have the one extra seat we needed to have all five of us in the van at the same time, we would go out and make all the deliveries to the wholesale customers. And then if there was still capacity left at Rock Springs Park, which wouldn't happen on the weekends, but because we were homeschooled and we could go right. Thursday at 1 p.m. when nobody else was there, we had that whole place to ourselves and naturally forming spring. And It was cold water, though. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Do you remember you used to always turn the AC off just to make the cold water even colder for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a blast because, you know, we'd haul it. we probably look like uh, some real uh, strange people coming in with a trailer hooked up and tubes in the back. and Oh, yeah. And uh, plants and plugs and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. We'd, it, be, we'd be going back and putting yeah. tubes back on top of uh boxes of pots that we had also picked up to take back to the greenhouses. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, to make it all That fit. was a lot of fun, and it was like a private park, because you're right, during uh, when school is in session, there's nobody there. Now, if you go there when school's out or on the weekend, you can't even get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they'll close to capacity, which used to be a lot more capacity. They used to cram people in yeah. there on the weekends. So. so now go jump in the springs, see snorkel, see the snapping turtles, and wide-mouth bass. That's wow. it. <laughs> What kind of job can get better than that? Growing plants and then That's very know, true. snorkeling. And it was very convenient. That particular park was very conveniently located, too. Yeah. So it, yeah. it worked out really, really nice for us. Um, 
what a uh, last question on when you so I, I i was not aware of the the fact that grandpa let the business expire and then grew under the backyard name what made you retake the gabriella growers name you just like also like the alliteration or you know i i uh i think it was more respect for my dad and he had started it and he'd helped me get started you know uh with it so when I thought I was starting it going, my name, which was nobody liked it, was uh, Ants and the Plants because I thought nobody would ever forget it. And everybody would say, no, you'd sell Ants and the Plants. I said, no, it's, it's a joke. You get mm-hmm, it? It's sarcastic. Mm-hmm, It'd be funny. Mm-hmm. So, and then I thought Grants and the Plants, but... Grants and the Plants, now that would have worked. Yeah. Ants and the Plants may have thrown some red flags to the But it was state. wholesale, right? You yeah, know, that's true. Yeah, wholesale. <laughs> so it's not like you're you're having a store that says, you know, yeah, you're not, you know, <laughs> you know uh, bugs in the burger or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know? you're not, you're not I'm buying. Not, I'm not going to sell ants. It's just a joke. <laughs> but you remember the name. You do. So I think looking back at it, I, I, it was more of a respect for my dad and he'd started it. And uh, probably that, and I, and I was so cheap, we still had some stamps around, you know, mm-hmm. for envelopes. So I thought, oh, I can save three dollars <laughs> if I use uh, Gabriella Growers. Although the address changed because it used to be all the all those stationery was uh, Route One. Oh, like a rule route. Route One, Box Two Four Two, Letter A, Maitland, Florida. Spoiler alert, if you guys try to mail something to that, it doesn't exist anymore, so don't try. (laughs) We were a rural route delivered from Maitland. That's crazy. So, real quick, uh, that's funny that you say respect your dad, because that was the exact same motivation behind me using Gabriella. But transitioning to plants Mm -hmm. was we already owned Gabriella Growers. We already had a phone number for Gabriella Growers, which was the wholesale business I took, you know, Mm -hmm. was running for you in 2017 and 2018. And when it became clear that we were going to, you know, attempt to try this other path, and and at the time I didn't know we'd be sitting here three years later um, with a team of so many people. But at the time it was like, okay, well, I'll give this thing a shot on Etsy. And it was the same type of thing. I didn't want to just use Gabriella Growers because I didn't want the the confusion there um, over things, although that ended up mm-hmm. happening anyways. People found the other website and vice versa. And it's honestly part of what drove us to upload and sell so many plants probably in those first like three months was because people very quickly Googled it and found out that although on our Etsy page at the time we were only selling pink princesses, they could see on the wholesale website that had the same address, the mailing, same mailing address that we offered all these other plants and all the questions started coming in. Do you have neon pothos? I can't find any at my local. And then we started adding more and more SKUs just because that old wholesale website but because of the wholesale website already kind of pre-existing me, I wanted to pay, you know, honor to the name, but also give it like the third generation branding of right. sorts too. Um, did Grandpa ever explain that there was any other story besides, obviously, for those who don't know, we've said it quite a few times mm-hmm. in question and answer episodes and stuff, but Gabriella isn't a family name or anything like that. It's just the name of the road that the property is on. And right. that's where we got the name for Gabriella Yeah, Growers. he got it from the name of the road, Gabriella Lane. And then the road itself went to the town of Gabriella. Right, which, which had like a train stop or... Yeah, it had a train station and a post office. And apparently, according to Simmel County History, had a county fair there like in, I don't know, 1913 or something. Oh, out in the <clears throat> cow field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I remember when the post office was there, uh, 
And when I became a county commissioner, I was trying to see if we could salvage some of the building, but it had been too far gone and collapsed and wasn't really worthwhile to save. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was named after that town, which no longer exists. So I think that's where he got the name from it. He never really explained to me why he named it that, other than probably just the name of the road. Yeah, I guess yeah. the backyard doesn't explain. I mean, I don't know. I just could see that also being, mm-hmm. hey, from my backyard to yours, go right. figure from our greenhouse to your house. Yeah, I don't know why. Later. You know, I never asked him why he didn't name it the same uh, as his as his retail store. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, that, that sound, would have been an interesting question. It sounds like f- with the context that I learned today of the kind of two years he kind of went off the Gabriella Gros Gerber Daisies, you know, train. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that was truly just a second venture in his mind and he wasn't even thinking about the fact that they would be connected in any way. I think so. Just I think you're right. Wanted to try something yeah. new. So. And then of course you've done a great job because you took uh you threw in technology, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh telling the story and then a whole different platform and, and doing the direct sales. Uh, so right back pretty, to retail. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> so back to retail, but kind of in a, well, you even have the little yeah, shop. Yeah, in a different way now with yeah. shipping online primarily, but now that we have a retail store brick and right. mortar, we're a lot closer. I wish, especially being the guy who bought grandma and grandpa's house, I wish we could have rented or purchased the backyard, the old retail location. Cause I just thought that I just think that would be like this, the, the capstone to like yeah, such a nostalgia. Of, yeah. Well, I, you, you know, anything's for sale if the price is right. Is right. what my dad always said. The, the yeah. good, the pro the problem is, is it's now when you were describing it as being woods of muck and, you know, a gas station nearby. Now, unfortunately it's in a part of town that I'm sure one day it'll get bulldozed into a bigger thing over there seems to be the thing to do on those larger Prob- the way things are going probably apartments right everything's yeah, an yeah. apartment around here yeah but uh yeah so you've done a great job taking it to the next level and and uh re- you reflect the whole new generation of a changing economy mm-hmm. i mean everything's different now than um than it was 20 years ago or 50 years ago you know it's interesting what i don't know if you remember i don't know if you were on that vacation when we went up to the mountains but I was talking to this historian in Bryson City mm-hmm. in uh, North Carolina, and he was telling me about this car, uh, horse cart that he was refurbishing. And he said the story of this one was it uh, was purchased most likely off the back of uh, off a traveling train. And I asked him to explain that a little further. And he says, "Well, when when retailing started, you know, in these neck of the woods, you know, you didn't have." Mm-mm. That many stores, even mm-hmm. you know, small little towns didn't have a store. So the train, at the back of the train, there was a car that was a retail store. And when the train pulled into town, uh, somebody would uh, pull out a trumpet and start playing a tune from the back of the train to announce to the town that the store was in town. So if there were things that you needed that weren't at your local general store because mm-hmm. things were, you know, maybe you just got flour and sugar there. That was mm-hmm. about it. You know, or you knows? needed one-inch nails and but they if, didn't have yeah. any. But if you needed the uh, horse cart, you know, it came in on the traveling store. So you think about that. Interesting. The, the way they advertised was a trumpet uh, could play out to the, to the valley, and I'm sure there might have been signals going out for, from there. Right. 
which is a whole lot different than Amazon Prime now, where you want it two say. hours, right? You know, you want that horse cart delivered. Of course, who buys a horse cart now, right? Right. So retail's changed, and you've you know definitely taken this, done a great job, but taking it to the next level and putting that technology to it and tracking things and asking how it turned out and telling a story with it. I think it's amazing, the little QR code and, and telling people when it was born on and, you know, who took care of it and yeah. which uh, which employee came by and talked to it today uh-huh. and, and petted it and uh, caressed it and uh, rocked it to sleep for nighttime. Uh-huh. The whole story is right there. It's uh-huh. pretty amazing. Just wait till we let customers start to pick what music gets played overnight. Yes, you know yes. what I mean? That way we can curate what the plants are growing yes. up to. That'd be I, good. I would, I would like Sam to fertilize uh, this, <laughs> this plant on this day. Okay, we'll do it. We actually, it's funny you, you mentioned that. We actually just this week uh, rolled out a feature 2GP app where we can pre-plan. Currently, if we move mm-hmm. plants from one bench to another, that all has to be done as it's be- happening. We can't put in a task. We have a Slack channel we use to like you know communicate amongst the team, but the actual app itself doesn't track tasks until this weekend, and now it does. So you can actually say, I'm going to plant these 800 TC when they come in, and then once they come in, you verify only who in fact planted them, confirm the number of them, and hmm. then it prints the stake for you. So it lets us kind of plan ahead of time a little bit more. So Fascinating. Pretty cool. Um, but you mentioned, I appreciate all that, by the way, the yeah. nice words and stuff, but you mentioned technology, which is something I wanted to just touch on briefly because you came, I mean, obviously in your lifetime, you've seen more technology in some ways than I have progress. Obviously, the, the speed of progression happened mm-hmm. a lot faster post the internet, but you started out no internet. I mean, back in the early 90s, and then eventually, you know, I made fun of, and still do to this day for the first three years of the company and stuff, that we took a family business that had run off of a fax machine and, Mm -hmm. you know, started to run it direct to consumer. But do you remember any of those early kind of like as, I remember you used to have an MS-DOS looking computer that would print on this god-awful dot matrix thing that would screech like a... right. Uh huh. No nap time for that. Yeah, dot matrix printers. They were reliable, mm-hmm. you know, and the ribbons were cheap and they were slow, but they could print in triplicate, which you know you don't do that anymore. But no, it does. I remember the biggest breakthrough was getting a fax machine you could broadcast from and program it to send out you know fifty faxes at a time because everything lived and and died not died so much but the fax was huge because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was you're putting an advertise you're putting information that people want directly into their office and you're letting them know valuable information you know this mm-hmm. is what you got this is what it costs special on this or this is coming this date so doing a weekly fax was huge you know because then people are calling you now uh, obviously tell you know calling you mm-hmm. but you know everything changes now so you can you know have the website you can send the emails, you can have and, I mean, order online and everything. You there's know. still a large portion of the traditional industry, though, that still operates on the fax machine, pays their bills in 30 to 60 days. Yeah. You know, compared to obviously the, the millennial generation, the, the computer generation of, right. of people where everything's paid on a credit card or a debit card and it's instantaneous and it's on the website. And, you know, even all the suppliers now, Grower Supply, didn't have a way to email you a an invoice before and now they finally in 2021 do uh and so it's it's 
been really neat to see that. It's funny you mentioned the facts, though. Did Were you the one who highlighted those and set those on my desk, or did Brett find those? Well, I found those the other day when I was cleaning up, and I those older ones, I thought I'd I put them in there just so you'd see the old price list. And, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll post it as uh, one of the photos for this episode, oh, okay. like, you know, so people see the context. But in there, what I found really funny was from 1992 was the first year. There were two different availabilities in okay. the stack that you gave me. Yeah. The first one was 1992. Wow. And it was all handwritten. Mm-hmm. And then it looked like by 96 or 95, I think, was the second one, you had gotten a computer and had begun to format them, I'm assuming, in like Windows Excel or something. Right, right. There were uh, you know different archaic programs back then. Um, and everything changed so quickly. You know, when, when I... When I ran for a local office, I was the first one to have a web page mm-hmm. ever, you know, and that was 96. So you think how much things have changed so quickly and will continue to change. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, I mean, that's what's so fascinating about it. And speaking of that constant evolution and continuing change, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me most about the second half of last year, besides COVID in general, was the fact that Costa, the largest grower on the East Coast of the United States does over a billion, I believe, in sales every year. Um, by far the largest grower, they're 5,200 times the size of covered greenhouse space that we are for comparison. But they, who previously didn't even operate in a wholesale capacity to people who wanted to buy wholesale quantities, you'd have to sign mm-hmm. lengthy contracts like Home Depot, the big box stores. Right. They jumped the entire step of doing wholesale and just as of the second half of last year, started selling direct to consumer on their own website. Hmm. So to see, you know, not that I was the first person to ever do what we did, but I was certainly one of the first multi-generation family people to take what they already kind of had existing and shift it that direction. There were other people like the Sill, other larger companies that we had shipped to, Hertz and others, Logies, they had all done online sales and we had sold to them wholesale. So right. we weren't the first person doing online sales, but we were really kind of the start of the grower transitioning that wasn't a professional hobby grower, but was a you know set up to be a commercial grower to make the transition of wholesale to retail. And now you have somebody as big as Costa following in the footsteps too, which is... Well, that's the great thing. As long as there's free markets <clears throat> and competition, there will always be ideas of how do you make people happy, which is basically what... You know, um, uh, retail. Well, any sort of cap- mm-hmm. pa- capitalistic system as how I got to make somebody happy to stay in business. Right. We can have a great idea, yeah. but ultimately we got to make a customer yeah. happy right. for them to order it. And somehow, if you rolled into Bryson City today and played a trumpet off the back of a train, I don't think too many people would come uh, rushing up to buy anything, right? Uh, they'd they'd pr- probably be wondering <laughs> who's, uh, who is whose this phone nut- going on. Yeah, who's this nut job? So, yeah, it's interesting they're doing that. And obviously, it shows a you know, changing market, especially after COVID when. You had all these shutdowns that it forced, you know, forced what I do to change remarkably. And a lot of that was for good. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of stress involved, but um, I think uh, ultimately, uh, you know, making things easier is always good. Right. Right. For sure. All right. So I have a few more questions before I I know uh, we don't want to make this, we'll have to have you back for more podcasts in the future, but try to keep it under an hour to respect your time and everything. But, um, I asked our Facebook behind the scenes group um, for if they would have any questions because this has been something I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, and here's, I want to ask you a couple different ones that people. Um, 
what kind of plants did you start with, and what was your favorite plant? Well, my uh, I started off with a lot of different hanging baskets, uh, Cupid, Peperomia, watermelon, begonias. Um, uh, try to find, always try to find something maybe a little different that other people weren't doing, you mm-hmm. know, because I knew I was so small. If I just tried to grow a pothos like a hundred other nurseries were doing, I was going to have a hard time. So I tried to find something a little bit different. Um, my favorite all-time plant is the Aglaonema hospitum. Uh, is just an amazing plant, mm-hmm. and it's so slow growing, and it's a labor of love. But it is is beautiful and does really w- well in low light. But you know, I generally like all. I love orchids. There's such mm-hmm. a paradox of such ugly foliage, but just unbelievably beautiful flowers. Unremarkable leaves, remarkable yeah, just, blooms. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a lot like life. You know, sometimes you know you're going through the days. Well, it's just a mixture. It's like yeah. wow, this thing looks really and then the the roots of it you know where they have the little vellum Mm -hmm. the sponge on it that absorbs the the rainwater is fascinating i think plants you know when i took plant science and plant id what really amazed me was just the a to z out there Mm -hmm. and i tell you one of the one of my favorite plants this will sound weird is the weed that's growing in the crack of the sidewalk and the pavement in front of a convenience store or something like that. Because I look at that thing, and I'm like, dude, you're sitting there. It's probably 150 degrees. Mm-hmm. You got no fertilizer. Nobody loves you. People stepping on you. And then you're making it go. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. You Resilience. Know? Resilience. Yeah. yeah. So uh, plants are fascinating. Uh, I, I love the the succulents with the little windows so the light comes in through the whole mm-hmm. leaf. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, there was this old euphorbia I had that had a square stem. I wish I could have it again. It was one of my favorites. Uh, I had this like little sandpaper edge to the corner. I'm not really sure what it was, but um, the Aglaonema hospitum is by far my, my favorite. That's awesome. And uh, for those who are asking about that plant, because we've got a couple of people asking about it from now and again, but those are currently in production and we're going to, they take so long to grow and they're going to become very popular whenever we announce yeah, them so super low line it'll be 2023 before people see that because I, I got a lot of work to do i tried to more. have them cloned but they're it just was so slow in that too everything's slow about it it's one of the but few- it's it's a strange aglaonema because it doesn't grow any stems above ground it's all underground so it right. grows as a clump it's very rhizomatic and mm-hmm. it takes as low light as a, a, a sansevieria yeah or cast, yep. cast iron plant and aspidistra super and, low light and they'll survive well even in like no true light, but artificial light, fluorescent not, lighting, it'll do great. Yeah, and they're, they're not, beautiful. You put a little leaf shine on it. Yeah, not yeah. too, not too picky. Um, if you could have one plant and one plant only, what would it be? It'd be that one. Okay, all yeah. right, that was easy Aglaonema enough. Aglaonema hospitum brevis bathum. That's that's the best. There you go. You heard it from it's him. My love. Um, we kind of went over this, but this question just asked, what was the most advanced technology utilized during your time? Well, when I had my fogger going for, oh, for a few yeah. years, that uh, made spraying a little bit easier. So I just get that sucker walking through. I could do a whole greenhouse with uh, uh, pesticides in just a matter of you know 45 minutes or so. You know that's coming back around now? Well, the old unit's still sitting there in the back. I don't know. I don't know that we want to trust that one, but I'm beginning to see, uh, especially growers of uh, the smaller mm-hmm. items where it's harder to spray effectively in those liner trays and stuff. Yeah, they're still they're still utilizing yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. There's like a whole new couple different companies building newer versions of them 
Right. So that was kind of the highest tech, you know, I had going. You've That's... taken tech to a new level. <laughs> well, I mean, keep in mind that we didn't get high-speed internet until year two of Gabriella Plants. Right. We had DSL before that. Mm-hmm. And then even before that, I was dial-up and all that. So we didn't really have... We were rule enough that we didn't have bountiful exposure to internet earlier, too. You know, we were kind of far. We didn't grow up with connected to water, to sewer. You know, you were kind of on your own for everything mm-hmm. with the six acres. So mm-hmm. um, we'll try to wrap this up here. But what what is the big... Um, Miriam, um, my wife, says, I'd love to know what's the biggest difference he sees in the greenhouses between now and then, and what has surprised him the most? Between now? Oh, where they're, what you have now? Yeah, I guess between maybe what we have now, and because in 2017, I took over the greenhouses. Right. We haven't added, until we added more greenhouses to my backyard around the corner, you know, we've done a lot of restoration projects right. and added benches to certain sections of the greenhouse, but, you know, those were the ones you well, had run before. So. Yeah, well, automating it sure helps with irrigation and rolling up curtains and that sort of thing makes life a lot easier. I think the the, the biggest change is is the, you know, when I was doing it more in a wholesale model, you couldn't really do a bunch of different ones. You really, mm-hmm. you really needed to focus on fewer, you know, a lot of less. So you've changed it to now when you walk into the greenhouse, there could be, you know, 120 different plants there. You've also kind of streamlined it into the smaller pots for the shipping. Mm-hmm. So that's really different. For- Whereas when I was doing it, you know, it, it would all been, you know, five greenhouses of ferns and one of spider plants and, Two, two greenhouses of neon. It was it's all neon. Right, right. right. The, the first year, 2017, yeah. was just how many three-inch neon can we stick? Yeah, because the that neons, you, you could grow, sell every one. Yeah. So that it, was trying to focus on that. So with me, there was only, you know, five different plants in different sizes for the most part, you know. And, mm-hmm. and you walk into Gabriella plants today and there's, you know, hundreds of different mm-hmm. varieties, which is really cool, you know, because you get to really see... It's fascinating when you look at the aeroid family and, you know, most people, especially in the old days, you thought of, okay, Greenfield Indian, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was about it. Or Monstera Deliciosa. Yeah. And now, I mean, just the, the number of, you know, just in the Scandapsis or Philodendron or, or uh, uh, you know, you know Apothos, the, the, the a variety there and then the new varieties and then mm-hmm. some of the varieties we found, you know, that we've kind of kept going – Right are um, really fascinating. You know, so if the palette of what's available is is just amazing. Yeah, right? and, and and two things on that. The craziest thing about everything. You're right. Um, f- to put some numbers behind what you just said, because um, we do this math quite often now. There were 14 species in production when I took over the wholesale business. So really, only five different types of plants or so. But mm-hmm. you know, counting the different cultivars of each. You have 15 to 17, depending on which ones you count. Um, now we're well north of including the ones that we purchase in, which isn't a large fraction of them, but including those, we're at somewhere around 706 wow. different species. Now, a lot of those aren't even in um, growing production. like They haven't yet been planted in a pot size or in a configuration that will be Sell, mm-hmm. sold to a customer. Some of those are still in the process of taking one plant Brett has and turning it into two, turning it into four, early production, as we call it. But 700 species in total across both locations now. That's pretty cool. Is, I didn't know it was that many. Yeah. 
I can yeah. show you the full list in GP app too. You can scroll it for days. But that's including every single cultivar type, right. every single, you know, different mm-hmm. variation of all, all the plants we grow, which is fascinating. But the, the crazier thing that I wanted to just mention and get your insight on too, because I grew up, like you were mentioning, kind of the wholesale perspective of like, you need to grow only a handful of items and you need to grow a lot of them. The number of orders we turned down on a week-to-week basis because we couldn't have enough of a single skew at a time mm-hmm. was pretty insane. And then to like, as I've invested more into the plant community, read these posts from different, you know, um, botanists and people from around the world that say, um, don't quote me on this exact number, but that we haven't even discovered two thirds of the philodendron species that likely exist in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much even out there as much as the industry, even in the past four years has expanded to customers want every single different, um, species or cultivar of every single different, you know, plant family and different things like that. There's so much still we haven't even found in the wild and we haven't even classified to put those into cultivation yet. So crazy to see we have 700 something and yet we still grow, I mean, not even a half of a percent of the total species, you know, we could. Yeah. Plants that, you know, that's one of the uh, things that really attracted me to plants was how diverse it all is. I remember I took, uh, plant uh, science one. I forget what it was. Some some class back at UCF. It was a botany one or something. And the professor was fascinated uh, with... He, he specialized in bryophytes. Right? Okay. And I remember... What are, what are those? Well, it's like things that grow on the side of a tree. Okay. Right? Okay. right? And I remember we went down to the Econ River one day and he was taking us on a field trip, and we've been studying these things, right? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm used to these, you know, a big plant with a foliage and this. And, that. Mm-hmm. and he pulls out this little magnifying glass, right, which we all had to buy, one of these mm-hmm. little things. And he walks up to the side of this tree, and he's he's looking at it. And he goes, okay, this is the folios, whatever it was. This is a fruticos. This is this. And all these little lichens mm-hmm. and, and mosses. And he was just having a field day. But it was, it kind of taught me some. It's like, you know, it's a kind of like that weed in the crack of the 7-Eleven. I mean, you can walk up to the side of a tree out in the woods, and, you know, the resurrection mm-hmm. fern to mm-hmm. me, the polypodium polypoidioides is a fascinating plant. It just sits there, looks like it's dead, and then it rains. And, and it's, the moisture's there. And, and it's, it's, that's why they call it the resurrection fern. It comes back to life. Right. And, and you're like, wow, it's, just, it's amazing. So, yeah, I'm sure in the jungles of... China or South America, somewhere, Asia, all over the Thailand, world. Yeah. a lot of this stuff comes from Thailand. There's probably so many different plants out there we've never even scratched the surface of, but it's just fascinating. I think that's what's cool, too. When you bring them into your house, you know, they're, you're bringing life into your house. They're relaxing, something fun to take care of. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, it makes, uh, I think it, uh, when you bring the plants in the house, it also lowers the stress level. You know, you make your backyard a little pretty. You know, you can enjoy it. Your stress level goes down. Anytime you're in nature, you know, uh, your stress level goes down. And obviously, when you're when you're in a more urban area and apartments and that sort of thing, you, you kind of lose touch with that a little bit. Right. Unless there's a park nearby. So bring the plants mm-hmm. inside, you know. Especially, and, like and you mentioned, them. when we're all working from home, too. You know, yeah, that, that put yeah. even more emphasis on making sure that your home environment, wherever you're working from, office or home, right. is conducive to growth. 
and something I love about plants for sure. Right, and fake plants don't do that. No. All they do is collect dust. See, we have beef with fake plants here. The Malloys <laughs> have a thing against fake plants. Somebody says they, they don't die. It's like, well, they don't live. They just, <laughs> they just sit there and they collect dust and they, they never live. change. Well, it, yeah, eventually the leaves will, will fall off too. Uh, when the glue wears out, <laughs> I was gonna say eventually the when you put it in the windowsill, the the, the sun bleaches yeah, out the fabric too. That's right. You'll get a variegated plant before too long. <laughs> um, two questions as we wrap up. One, obviously, a plant that's become very popular in the last year or so. Um, we don't have time today to dive into Pink Princess. Obviously, that mm. was the plant we started on. I've, I think I've properly recapped kind of our family history of having first started growing that, but. In the more recent times, the past year, the you know, the two plants that have exploded in popularity for us are the two cultivars that you started to kind of selectively mm-hmm. refine, Rio and Gabby. Um, do you have any earlier memories? Of, oh yeah, uh, of I those, remember or? when I saw the first Gabby, and I forget what where it came from, but I just remember catching this creamy variegation that I've never seen before. You know, because I'm in there snipping, propagating, and I saw that. And anytime you get a cultivar, you always want to test it to see if it keeps it, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of times you'll see a cool leaf pop out and you're thinking, hey, I wonder if this, you know, maybe this this little freak of nature here, because that's basically what we're doing. We're taking Mm -hmm. things that are beautiful to humans because they have a, 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 it's not natural for a plant to really want to be variegated because it's lower uh, energy. It's not healthy. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's misbehaving cells, but we like the uniqueness right. of individual variegation, I think, is a, one of the main things that drives it at its core. Is like each leaf's different. Right. My plant has different colorations to it. So the Rio was, you know, it stayed really solid, mm-hmm. and it, it looked different than than the uh, Brazil. So I, I kind of tied it to the same country, you know, mm-hmm, Rio, mm-hmm. Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. And then with the Gabby, it was so unusual and had such a creamy color. And it was a cream and a white and a green. And, you know, they all mix up. And I thought, well, that's one I named, you know, named it after Gabriel Grower or something mm-hmm. to kind of give a connection to it. But that one always worried me because it was so slow growing, so slow, mm-hmm. and occasionally it would it would revert to green. Mm-hmm. But over the years, it seems like it's been staying more uh, true to type. Mm-hmm. Is that what you've been seeing? Yeah, I mean, we still have a lot of the same six inch um, stock plants yeah. that we initially started with, and they've gone through a lot of different environmental changes. One thing I have noticed on the Gabbies, though is that they definitely prefer on the lower light end of the spectrum. Okay. Um, I've seen higher reversions the more sunlight you give them, which is contrary to how most variegated plants tend to behave. If you have a variegated Monstera, you know, Mm -hmm. Albo variegata, the more light you give to it, the higher likelihood you have that it's more comfortable producing more variegation. Does not seem to be the case with Gabby. There is definitely a line of it can't stand not li- no light, right? But the high end of Gabby, I think maybe the plant just knows that the all cream and white is just too weak cell structurally. That when the light levels get that high, that it reverts. But we've had the most reversion happen at the original greenhouses when we replaced the roofs and had a month and a half long delay before we got the shade cloth back uh-huh. up on that. Okay, and we reverted a good well, chunk of them. But it was also yeah. one funny thing about that temporary all temporary. It would put out three fully green 
fully reverted leaves, and then right back into the variegation. It would resume even after fully reverting. Well, it has such a pretty variegation. And the other one that I caught that was weird was that variegated syngonium with the lemon color to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was uh, different. And that just kind of popped out out of the blue, too. It's uh, just like, wow, that's weird. So kept kept that going. Then I you know it kind of got mixed a little bit with the white ones. Mm-hmm. Are you still keeping that separated? The, there's actually more demand right now for the green one. Funny you bring that up. That's like a, the, that, that's a trending. That's, that lemon color one? Yes. Yeah. That, that trend is just now starting. Yeah, Maybe as of end of spring of this year the questions when I found about those. it uh, you know it wasn't a big thing at the time when I found it people still wanted the white but mm-hmm. that's interesting that the, the other variety you know it's totally different it, and mm-hmm. uh, it seemed to grow a little faster than the white one as I recall mm-hmm. yeah it also has a slightly more prone to reversion if it's in oh, really? an extreme yeah okay yeah yeah so those are the three I really caught that but you know stuck out but the gabby by far was was really cool looking right yeah. And and you mentioned you don't know where it came from, because did it come from a Brazil like the the Rio or it may have it may have I I I remember seeing it, but I don't really remember what what it came from came from so to speak. I think just the plant when I saw that sprig come but out, it was kind it of blew me away. Was it in house though? Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like you were at a at a no, retail was, store or something. No, no, and, no. It was in the greenhouses. Okay, you know? and just one stuck out like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just one. One cutting. It was just one. Just one. Yeah. I, I, I saw um, one of the photos when we were doing some of the research on and, and getting the documentation together, a photo that you had even uploaded to Facebook several, several years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, about nine or ten years ago, set, you know, with a picture of one of the six-inch pots yeah. of Gabby. So it probably took you a little while. That was dated in 2009. Right. Would you have a best guess as to when you first saw that first stem? Probably was a couple years before that. I was going to say, because if you had a full six-inch pot of it, it looked like you'd been trying to kind of selectively cultivate that. Right, because it was one cutting, and you see how slow they grow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they definitely definitely grow slow, for sure. Um, But yeah, Rio's stuck really consistent, Mm -hmm. and and that's been unique in and of itself. Um, Yeah, those look cool. Yeah, and then they, they hold up. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, uh, I'll wrap up this podcast, but I have some funny to tell you about some research. Somebody pointed me down a rabbit trail that I don't want to bring up on the podcast because I haven't been able to confirm it yet, but it would definitely explain why there seems to be so much variation in the heteracium species. But I'll get back to you on that, Dad. Um, last question here, though, before we wrap up. Um, what was the most... well? This won't be the last question. Second to last question. What was the most challenging aspect of running the business in those early years? The most challenging aspect, I think it's just just knowing, and it's mainly by error, just knowing what people want. Right. Right. Especially back then when, you know, you're you're young and you're just starting out. It's a, little, a lot of trial by, you know, trial and error. Uh, and then, you know, that's what a lot about life is, you know, if it doesn't work out to shift to something different. Um, I remember when we were really, when I was young, we used to grow a ton of syngoniums just to put a a real example to that. We used to grow a ton of syngoniums. We grew a a ton of syngoniums. And then, uh, there was this really big problem with, uh, 
xanthomonas that got into the plugs and and in the greenhouse and that was a bear you could not get rid of that hardly it was terrible right we were throwing away just bench yeah, by bench so i i shifted to some other products after that but i think the hard thing is it's like with any business you know you're going out on a leap of faith and you just work real hard at it you know it's a lot of hours involved and and you know try to make uh, customers happy yeah for sure um lastly just in, in recap um, what are, what's surprised you the most about the changes that we've made? I mean, obviously shipping direct to consumer, utilizing the technology is some of the stuff you mentioned, but what's kind of the thing that's, you know, I'm really surprised how much, uh, young people have really taken to plants. Cause when I started out, you know, late eighties, early nineties, my theory were, was that the, uh, baby boomers would retire, and they would get into gardening and mm-hmm. um, buying plants more because the the industry was really huge back in the seventies and eighties, and it, then it kind of went down through a, a slump. So I was always thinking it was going to probably just with the changing demographics it would would bounce back up. So what surprised me most is is how much young people have really kind of gotten into plants and agriculture, and and you know when you had the the Saturdays, and I remember talking to some some college mm-hmm, girls mm-hmm. that came there, and I'm like, uh, oh, you came, you know, from, she said she was from Gainesville. I said, you came from Gainesville? And she's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, we, we drove up from Fort Lauderdale this morning. And I was like, you drove up, you mean you went from Gainesville to Fort Lauderdale last night? She goes, yeah, I picked up my friends so we could come up here and see the greenhouses. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's just amazing, mm-hmm. you know? So the, the fact that we got a whole sum of zero solicitors in an entire calendar yeah. year previously. So I think that's great, you know, young young folks getting into it. Because, again, I think it goes back to, you know, it's relaxing, it's fun, you know, it's a, it's affordable. You can uh, have a little mini garden, you it's know, on your It's doing something for yourself. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-care thing for sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, hopefully that trend continues. And um, maybe also, you know, as families get smaller and stuff, I know people getting you know, more into pets and plants and that sort of thing. So I mm-hmm. think we all have, as humans, I think we all have a, a, a connection to nature. Mm-hmm. You know, we we all, I think, feel at peace in it when you go to a botanical garden or to the Smoky Mountains, where I love to go. Or the beach, whatever the beach, your cup of tea, yeah, whatever your like cup of tea there, is. You just, there's something about it. So when you bring those plants in, that's great. And I'm so my biggest surprise is just how many people are into it now. Right. And then with the technology, you know, I would have, you know, they didn't have YouTube uh, when when I started, you right. know, but heck, you know, people are showing their plants off and talking about it and having conversations, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole a whole community driven by people who are all driven by the same interest and, and having grown up with, you know, seeing you work as hard as you did for the money that you made growing up wasn't super appealing to me. And I never put words to it that I, you know, kind yeah. of viewed a lot of the customers as the baby boomer generation. But for sure, we needed not only the next generation of, of, of um, people to find their love for plants, for customers, for that next generation of, of humanity to, to embrace their love for plants. Mm-hmm. But we also needed those people to pursue careers in plants too. Because there had been, from my vantage point, a, you know, a decreasing chart of how many growers you had in the state of Florida for, you know, a decade before right. I took over just because of rising homeland values, d- different reasons people are retiring and, 
and moving out. So I had a little bit, not so much, you know, I guess once I started to realize that the, the customer base was there in the younger generation, the next immediate thought in my mind was like, well, then we're going to need a lot more of these people to take up, you know, the, the job mm-hmm. of growing too, because we need the next generation of growers. Yeah, this this area, you know, everything changed a lot. There was a nursery at the end of this road mm-hmm. uh, down here when I was a kid. There were seven nurseries near Gabriella Growers, and you know, long ago that ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the only we're, one. We're the only one as far as a wholesale type of uh, greenhouse operation. So, or at least a growing operation. Yeah, yeah. You've got one, yeah. Lucas and other retail um, kind of retailer types like that, but. Yeah, they were out in the Black Hammock area. There were a couple nurseries out there. There were two on Red, two on Redbug. Yeah, two on Redbug. One, one here. There was us. There was one at the end of uh, Brooks Lane on mm-hmm. a side road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, we eventually purchased those to move them, right? No, no, no that no, was no, no, no. Uh, that was Larry on Redbug. No, right. there was another one at the end of uh, Dar- Double R Lane. Oh, uh, interesting. Right around the corner. Yeah, I used to see him grow, uh, drive his van. When I was a kid, out to Popka, oh, really? and and Bill Duval lived right across the street from uh, Trantrax Foliage. Oh right, right, right across the street, and uh, so he had one of the larger plant brokers in, in a Popka. Yeah, yeah. And, and now at Plymouth Sorrento and Kelly Park, there's yeah. that giant Publix now so out there. It's all changed, and that's what life is, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's making the most of the change that's happening yeah. though, too. So you find the niche and fill it. That's what might goes back to my dad, you know. Uh, you know, you want to provide a service, something uh, people are looking for, and you can't you can't beat the big kids. Right. So find something, do a better service, a better product, and uh, fill that void. Or find a unique way to tell every plant story with our customers. There, and, that's and, filling the void. Yeah. Right? Who else does that? Uh, nobody, uh, the, as of this point. That's so. right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in today, Dad. I really enjoyed this. Is there anything else you want to leave uh, the no. listeners with for now? Maybe we'll do a catch back up episode at some point in the future. Great. Great job you're doing, and you know if anybody has any questions, they can get through you. you yeah, know? of course. And if you have those uh, questions, you can email them to us at feedback at everyprintstory.com, and we'd be happy to have Dad back in the studio at some point to answer more questions. Yeah. Now we just need to get the uh, younger folks to play banjo more than guitar and get back to where we were as a country 200 years ago when banjos were much more popular. Take it from the yeah. number one banjo, banjo player, player. In, uh, in Seminole County, for sure. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Dad. Okay. I really appreciate you stopping by. Great job. <laughs>